Chapter Six of Giants on the Earth by Captain S. P. Meek. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six in the Seraglio. With a parting word to Turgan and his followers, Damis made his way alone down the hill and into the thick tropical jungle which grew up almost to the gates of the viceregal palace. He was well acquainted with a secret entrance into the building. It was a matter of minutes for him to locate the outer end and open it. For half a mile he made his way underground until a huge stone door barred his way. He felt for the hidden catches and the slab of rock rose before him. As he turned toward the doorway he found himself looking into the muzzle of a black ray tube in the hands of a gigantic Jovian in the uniform of the Viceroy's guards. "'Whence came you, Nephthalim? demanded the guard, a cold note of suspicion in his voice. "'From far Torna,' replied Damis readily. "'I am Dormino, Comar of the province of Capriez. The slaves rose on us, and all were slain except me. I have had to travel by night and hide by day to reach here. I knew not whether the slaves had conquered or not, but when I found them lying by thousands about Glavor's palace, I knew that the reign of the sons of God was safe. What news from Tubane? The face of the Jovian guard cleared as Damis spoke. Dormino, a son of Glavor by one of his terrestrial concubines, was Comor of Capriez, a fact well known to Damis. There was nothing in the newcomer's story to excite suspicion. "'The fleet of the ruler of the universe is approaching,' the guard replied. "'In two hours it will be hovering above us. We would have needed no aid had not the dogs of Earthmen found our source of power and managed to destroy it with stolen ray-tubes. We have been cooped up here like rats, waiting for Tubane to arrive. When he comes our vengeance will be heavy.' "'The heavier the better,' growled Damis with an oath. "'The dogs have been getting surly for a generation. I hope that Tubane will teach them a lesson that will not be forgotten for ages to come.' "'He will never fear,' laughed the guard. "'Already Glavor has made his plans. I am not a member of the Council. Yet I have heard enough to realize why Glavor is our ruler.' My brain could not conceive of such a stupendous plan. "'I will go to my father now,' said Damis. "'What is the word for passing the inner gate? I wish to surprise my sire, for he doubtless mourns me as dead.' "'He thinks you are dead,' replied the guard. "'Yet I never heard of Glavor mourning for any loss which did not affect his pleasures. He has plenty of bastards to take your place. The word is Tubane.' I thank you, son of God, said Damis, and I will inform my sire of the great respect and high regard which you have for him. Fear not, your words shall be truthfully reported to him. Leaving the Jovian guard, hastily reviewing the conversation with the supposed Dormino, Damis made his way toward the palace. Since he knew that he would not reach another door until after several of the underground passages with which the foundations of the palace were honeycombed had joined, he had little doubt of his ability to make his way unsuspected into the citadel. He debated for a moment on the advisability of killing the Jovian guard and taking his weapons, but caution prevailed, and empty-handed, save for a dagger concealed under his robes, he strode forward. 
His knowledge of the password enabled him to pass the various guards he met without difficulty. There were many of the Nephthalim who held subordinate positions in the outlying provinces and who were seldom at court, and the Jovian guards, who in their hearts regarded the Nephthalim as little better than the terrestrials, paid small attention to him. He passed several guarded points before the path rose steeply, and he passed through the final gate into the palace itself. A Nephthalim passed him hurriedly, and Damis plucked at his robe. "'I am just from outpost,' he said. "'What news of Tubane?' "'The fleet has entered the atmosphere belt a thousand miles east of here,' replied the Nephthalim. "'They are dropping to an altitude of five miles, and will then approach. They should arrive in an hour. It is well that they hurry.' "'What rush is there?' asked Damis in surprise. "'We may not be able to leave here, but at the same time—' All the forces the slaves can muster would never force an entrance. "'You have not heard, then?' exclaimed the other in surprise. "'No, certainly not, if you have been on outpost, for I just learned it myself. There is a rumor that Havener lied when he said that he killed Turgan, the Kildare, and Damus the Renegade, the curse of Turban rest on him, on Mars. It is said that they not only escaped death, but have returned to earth armed with the weapons of the Red Planet. Havener is with Glavorn now, and no one knows what the outcome will be. Since Tubane is at hand, doubtless nothing will be done until he arrives. That is the reason why Tubane altered his course and came down so far away, instead of directly overhead. He hopes thus to elude the Martian weapons, if the Earthmen really have them. "'Surely that is a lie!' cried Damis. We hope that it is. Yet Havener would have been slain without mercy had he admitted that he left Mars without slaying or capturing Turgan and Damis. Many believe that it is true. Is Glavor in the council room? asked Damis. I have a message. It would be better for you to defer the message, if it be ill news, until Tubane arrives, brother. For Glavor is enraged beyond measure at all of us. He threatens to sacrifice us at the next games, and he may do so, unless Tubane alters the decree. He has not loved us since Damis broke his arm a month ago. Nevertheless, I will deliver my message, replied Damis. While it may not please him, it is essential that he get it before Tubane arrives. Good luck go with you, brother, replied the Nephthalim, with a shrug of his shoulders. The temper of the Viceroy of God is an uncertain quality at best. He is in his seraglio. Damis saluted the messenger and made his way toward the inner portion of the palace, where the women whom the lustful viceroy had dragged into his harem were kept. He had no plausible excuse for passing the guards into this forbidden portion of the palace, but that was a matter which caused him small worry. There were few of the secrets of the palace which were not well known to Damis, who had at one time been major-domo of the building. There was some well known to him, the existence of which was not even suspected by the majority of the sons of God. As he neared the seraglio, he turned off to his right and passed through a maze of little used passages, until he halted before what was apparently a blank wall. Casting a rapid glance around to ensure himself that there was no one in sight, he touched a hidden catch, and a portion of the wall swung inward, opening a way before him. He entered a passage built in the thickness of the wall, and lighted with radium bulbs. The door closed softly behind him. 
He removed his sandals, lest even their quiet tread should betray him, and on bare feet he crept forward. The passage bent and twisted as it followed the walls, until Damis knew that he was in one of the walls of the seraglio. Praying that it would work noiselessly, he slid open a panel of stone, and found himself looking through a semi-transparent hanging into the sacred precincts of the seraglio itself. Glavor stood facing him, his heavy face drawn up in a scowl of rage. Damis noted with satisfaction that one of the viceroy's arms was supported by a silk scarf, and that he made no attempt to use it. With a pale face Havener stood before his ruler. The word has been brought to me from a source which I trust as much as I do your own word, Havener, Glavor was saying. I tell you I do not believe your story. If Damis and Turgan were dead, the terrestrials would not see them alive again on earth. Neither would they have weapons of which we know nothing. One of our observers admits that he saw a spaceship land a few hours ago, coming from the direction of Mars. You failed in your mission, Havener, and on you I pronounce the doom. I sentence you to the twilight of the gods. I appeal to Tubane from that sentence, cried the equerry with dry lips. Your appeal shall be noted and laid before him at the proper time, replied the viceroy savagely. Yet by the time he arrives it will be too late. Ho, guards, take him away. Havener turned as though to resist, but six of the huge Jovians answered the viceroy's call. Two of them grasped him by the arms and started to lead him from the room. "'I appeal!' cried Havener again. "'I brought back the maiden whom I was sent to fetch, and for that reason I made no failure. To bring her was the principal item of my orders.' Glavorous face grew purple with rage. And who sent the message to Turbane which resulted in the orders which he sent me? he demanded savagely. It was sent by one of your henchmen and by your orders. You slew the sender before I could question him, but I know whose orders he obeyed. Take him away. The guard started to drag the luckless equerry from the presence of the viceroy. But Havener made a final appeal for his life. "'I will confess, Viceroy of God,' he cried. "'No message was sent to Tubane. I dared not send such a message, lest such orders would be returned as I caused to be given to you. I coveted the maiden for myself, and I took this means of getting her. I had a false message delivered to you which would prevent you from taking her before Tubane arrived.' In reward for my services as spy on you, I plan to ask that she be given to me. I surrender all claims to her, Glavor. Spare my life, and you may have her." For a moment Glavor could not speak for rage. <clears throat> so you have been the spy who has reported my every doing and my every secret counsel to Tubane, he gasped. But for you I would long ago have conquered Venus and Mercury, and declared myself independent of the Jovian overlord. In time I might have even overthrown him, 
but every move was known to him before I made it. Not once, but a dozen times, would you go through the twilight were Tubane not at hand. Niton, it is my order that the twilight be as slow as our instruments will allow. Give him time to learn to suffer, and to pray for the blessing of death at my hand. Take him away. The struggling heavener was removed by the guards, despite his efforts at resistance and his cries for mercy. Glavor stared after him for a moment, and an evil gleam came into his eyes. Sonom, he called sharply. A guard entered the room and saluted. Sonom, bring me the daughter of man Lura, cried the viceroy. When you have brought her here, post guards at all doors, and see that no one is admitted under any circumstances until Tubane himself arrives and demands admittance. The guard hesitated. Your Excellency, he faltered, the orders from Tubane were false rumors given out by the traitor Havener, who has by now gone to the twilight of the gods, interrupted the viceroy. By the crown of Tubane do I need to repeat my orders? I am viceroy of the earth, and am supreme until Tubane revokes my rank. Obey my orders. The guard saluted and withdrew. Glavor licked his thick lips in anticipation, and strode restlessly back and forth across the room. Inside the hangings Damis's face hardened, and he drew his dagger from under his robe. The door opened, and Sonom returned, dragging Laura after him. The face of the earth girl was pale and drawn, yet, when she saw Glavor, her head rose in an expression of defiance. Sonom saluted the viceroy and left the room, the massive door clanging shut behind him. Glavor stared at the girl with an evil leer on his heavy countenance. "'I have learned, daughter of man,' he said slowly, "'of how you seduced one of my servants from his duty to me, "'and caused him to forge an order from the great Tubane "'in order that he might keep you for his own pleasure. "'For a time the stratagem succeeded. "'But now my eyes are open. "'When I first looked upon your face and form, "'I swore to myself,' that you should be the solace of my leisure hours. Now the time is come. I was minded once to honor you as Hortan once honored a terrestrial, and let you amuse yourself by sitting on a throne. But your treachery has changed my intention. Not even as an accredited concubine shall you rank but only as a slave, to be used as a toy and tossed to one of my guards when I am tired of you. Come hither. Laura made no move to obey the order, and Glavor, with an oath, stepped toward her, his one good arm outstretched in a grasping gesture. Laura did not move until his hand almost closed on her arm, and then she sprang back. Her hand sought the bosom of her robe, and the viceroy recoiled as a glittering dagger flashed in the air. "'Back, Jovian!' cried Laura in ringing tones. "'Think you that the daughter of a king of men is to be a toy for your base Jovian passions?' 
the point of this dagger is poisoned, so that one touch through your skin will mean death. One step nearer and I will strike. The viceroy hesitated for a moment and then drew from his robe a short thick tube. Laura correctly interpreted the gesture. "'Raise that tube, and I will bury the blade in my own body,' she cried. "'I know that you have the power to clasp me in your arms, but it will be a corpse which you clasp.' She lowered the knife until the point rested against the skin of her throat. The slightest pressure would cause it to penetrate her skin and bring about her almost instant death. Glavro watched her like a cat, the tube ready in his hand. With a grim laugh he threw the tube from him and walked a few steps away. Laura lowered the knife. As she did so, Glavro turned with a movement so swift that the eye could hardly follow it. His eyes caught Laura, and she straightened back her head, powerless against his will, caught as she was momentarily off her guard. "'Throw down your knife,' said Glavor's voice slowly. Laura struggled to raise the weapon against herself, but she could not. Slowly her fingers relaxed, and the weapon clattered on the floor. Still holding her eyes with his own, Glavor stepped forward until his huge splayed foot rested on the weapon. He averted his gaze and swiftly picked it up. Laura gave a scream of horror and strove to fly, but the heavy door was barred against her. Glavor placed the weapon in a cabinet on the wall which he locked, and then turned to her, an expression of triumph on his face. It is useless, daughter of man, to struggle against the will of the sons of God, he said mockingly. What we desire is ours. Come to me. Laura's face showed an expression of loathing as she looked at the huge, misshapen monstrosity before her. The viceroy forgot the momentary satisfaction of his triumph and his rage at her attitude. With a growl of anger he grasped at her. Laura avoided his rush and ran along the side of the room, Glaver in pursuit. He cornered her at last, and she stopped with her back to the tapestry with which the room was hung. Glowering in his triumph, Glaver approached and reached out his hand to seize her. His huge paw descended, but before it touched her shoulder, a hand with fingers of steel reached through the hangings and grasped his wrist. When Sonom had dragged Laura into the room, Damis inserted the point of his dagger into the tapestry and started to cut a slit through which he could enter the room. The keen knifed blade cut for a few inches readily enough and then stopped. Damis withdrew the blade and examined the stuff before him. An expression of dismay crossed his face, for the material was crisscrossed with stellanium wires set six inches apart. Each juncture was brazed together, and the hole made a web through which he could not force his way. Cautiously he exerted his strength. The keen blade hewed through the first of the stellanium strands, but Damis held his breath as the wire parted. It seemed impossible that the ting of parting metal, which sounded like a thunderclap in his ears, would not be heard by the viceroy. He knew that there must be an entrance into the room through the hangings. 
and he made his way cautiously forward, testing the draperies from time to time with his knife. When Laura laid her dagger against her breast and threatened to end her life, it took all of Damis's self-control to keep from crying out and striving to force his way into the room by sheer strength. He knew the toughness of Stellania well enough to realize the impossibility of even his enormous strength tearing apart a webbing of it. The certainty that Glabor would not push matters far enough to rob himself of his prey aided him to restrain his order and to pursue his systematic search. He came at last to a corner where his knife met with no resistance as it made its way through the silken stuff on the walls. Swiftly he cut a slit through which he could rush. As he parted the material, Laura rushed past him and stood with her back to the wall to await the oncoming viceroy. Damis raised his hand and stood ready. As Glabor's huge paw descended on Laura's shoulder, Damis's hand shot out. Still holding the wrist of the viceroy in a grip of steel, he emerged from his hiding-place, tearing off the black wig and beard which disguised him. "'Damis!' cried Laura in wonder and delight as she saw him. Glavor stared with unbelieving eyes for a moment, and then a hoarse cry of alarm burst from his lips. Desperately he strove to release his wrist from the Nephthalim's grip, but to no avail. He disengaged his crippled arm from the scarf which supported it, and groped under his robe for a weapon. Laura cried out in warning, but Damis had anticipated such a move. With a quick effort he whirled about and drew the Viceroy's arm over his shoulder. He bent forward and exerted his full strength. The huge bulk of Glabor rose in the air and pitched forward over Damis's shoulder. There was a crash as he landed on the marble floor. Quick as a cat, Damis sprang on him and pinioned down his arms. "'Take his weapons, Laura!' he cried. Laura bent over the prostrate form of the Jovian to take from his belt the tubes which he habitually carried there. As she stooped, Glavor raised one of his huge feet and struck her with all the force of his mighty thighs behind the blow. With a cry of pain, Laura flew halfway across the room. Damis leaped to her assistance, forgetting for a moment the potentialities for destruction which the Viceroy bore on his person. A sudden sound made him whirl about. He bent over Laura and picked her from the floor. With her in his arms he leaped to one side just as a flash of violet light stabbed through the air. It missed them by inches. He dropped Laura on a rug and turned to face Glavor. On the Jovian's face was an expression of fiendish triumph. In his hand was a short black tube which he aimed with deliberate slowness at the crouching Nephthalim. Damis shifted his gaze from the Viceroy's eyes and concentrated it on the muscles of his wrist. Glavor's grip tightened and Damis leaped to one side as the violet light again stabbed the air. With an oath, Glavor swung the deadly ray in an arc, trying to reach the Nephthalim, but Damis moved like a cat. Once, as the ray almost touched him, he sprang high in the air and let it sweep by under him. With each movement he came nearer to the Viceroy. Slowly the violet began to lose its intensity of color. 
Glavor dropped it and reached for a second tube. Before he could draw one, Damis was on him. End of chapter 6